Hello, race fans. Welcome to another episode of Short Track Guys Podcast, brought to you by ShortTrackExclusives.com. I'm your host, Thomas Faddis, alongside two other Short Track Guys in the studio tonight. Jim Pokrant, driver of the 07 CanQuitFishing.com, sportsman here locally at Five Flags Speedway in Pensacola, Florida, and crew member of the 07 CanQuitFishing.com, sportsman here locally, also at Five Flags Speedway, Will Hay. What's up, guys? Evening, sir. How's it going? Well, Will, we welcome you to the studio. Um, I know you've got a lot to say. We've got a lot on the plate tonight to talk about, and we are really, really excited to have you in with us tonight and learn about your story about how you and Jim and the 07CanQuitFishing.com sportsman came about this year. Well, I appreciate you inviting me on. Uh, how me and Jim got started uh, back in June of 2016, Captain Jeff Coos of the Blue Angels number 6, uh, passed away tragically and um jim changed his paint scheme on his car and for at least one race that i know was no longer the zero seven he was the number six well the, the first race he ran that paint scheme i was out there in the stands watching and he ended up finishing third after leading the majority of the race well i went down uh into the pits after the race and as jim was getting out the car i hollered over to him i was like man my name is will I'm a fan for life. What you did changing your car and dedicating this to this gentleman and the blue angels, uh, was awesome. Uh, Jim's a true Patriot. And, uh, like I said, I was a fan for life. We talked for a few minutes. Uh, he invited me to come down into the pits and just to see what goes on. I had never been down in the pits for a race before. And, uh, it was a, it was a real honor to be invited down there and to meet this guy. After after that event, where did you originally meet him to go back into the pits the next the following event? He friended me on Facebook, and then we started talking. And he's like, "Dude, I'd really like to be a member of the crew." I'm like, "Come your ass out because I need some help." And he's been a big help ever since, man. Even when he had shoulder surgery, this man was at Five Flag Speedway in the middle of the summer, sweating his face off, helping us. Um, last year when we finished second in points, we had to pull the transmission. He was in the, down in the dirt and the mud cause it'd been raining. We had to water in the mud to get the transmission out. Will was right there with us. So he's been a blessing and a big help to my team. And I'm glad to have him. Well, Will, how, how long have you been to five flag speedway and watched the racing out there? Man, I, I started going out there. I think when I was five years old with my daddy, uh, we'd sit up in the, in the, uh, stands in the, around the first turn in that family section and I remember uh, falling asleep on them wooden bleachers during the races. And then I just kept going. Always been a huge racing fan. The, ain't nothing better than the smell of that racing fuel and the, the uh, burning rubber. Right. Is there, was there an event up, up leading to that that you had always remembered that made you want to keep going out there? Uh, yeah, and it's kind of a tragic story, actually. It's the night that Eddie Craig Sr., Went off a of turn one before they oh, put the wall up. Yeah. I was sitting with his son, Eddie Craig Jr. And as soon as his daddy went off the track, uh, I've never seen a young man run so fast. Jr. took off, and I think he was the first one out to the car, beating the crew and the safety folks and the ambulance. Um, but seeing something like that, I, I knew Eddie from going to church with him. And seeing somebody do something that was so dangerous, but he kept doing it. That it was amazing to me, and that incident, I'm sad to say, is what got me hooked on going out there. I, I was there that night. I remember him them taking him out of the car with a with a 
a piece of a fence post stuck in his head into his helmet. And it was it was superficial, but they didn't know. And so they I remember them getting him out of the car and having that. And it wasn't long after that's when Chris Nielsen went out there and sawed a late model in half. So I, I've I've known the Nielsens and everybody out there for years, man. It's it's crazy how he knows a lot of the people that I knew, and I know a lot of people he knows from going out there. Because I mean, you know, you you got to be a fan to sit in those grandstands. I'll tell you, and it's it's an awesome place. Still is, always will be. Go go Five Flags Speedway and. I'm not going to quit going out there. I can't go anymore. Well, I said that uh, after you invited me down into the pits for that first race, that I'd probably, minus a derby or a big super late model race, I'd probably never sit in the stands again. Oh, if we ain't racing, we're up there in the stands watching Bubba Pollard because that fender we have in our studio, Will was sitting right next to me that night, and the whole grandstands was shaking when when he took the lead because we were all jumping up and down yelling. That was a that was an awesome race. Yeah, it was a great time. That was one of the best ones from the grandstands I can remember is watching him come from 17. Just he get this one, he get this one, he get this one. We're like, dang, he might get a top five out of this. And the next thing you know, he's all over Chandler Smith. I said, no freaking way. There's no way he's going to win this. And he, with like three laps to go, he sails by Chandler Smith and see you, wouldn't want to be you. In, in the six years that I've been going into the pits with you, that's the first race that I've set in the stands for. Yeah, it's been a while. We try to do that some, you know, for like when they have the double header, the night we race, we'll be in the pits. And then the next night we'll be up in the stands. Well, we can't do that this year because I think the pure stocks are running on opposite nights. So we'll probably be down there helping Ben Cranford. We got a pit crew from my buddy Ben, who's at the shop right now, welding on my race car and going to be there tomorrow night and probably Friday night through the ice storm. We're going to be working on the race car. So, well, Will, I've got a couple of questions for you. When you, uh, when you first got started, down uh, in the pits with Jim after your introduction. Um, what were the instructions for you as far as going and getting involved with the team? Well, the first, the, the very first time I was down in the pits, uh, he got ready to go out for qualifying. And he said, when it comes to race time, I'll give you a headset, keep your mouth shut and listen. If, if we're under caution, you know, you can say something, but other than that, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. And uh, how was that received? Well, I knew that, uh, that Jim was in that mode of getting ready to get out there on the racetrack. And I know he's got to concentrate. So, you know, um, that's, that's what he was telling me. Right. And so you, your responsibilities were really just kind of a learning experience, getting down there, getting the headset on and listening to what was going on. So in preparation, really knowing a little bit more about just coming from the stands into the pits, because you're now you're, now you're getting really involved, right? Yeah. Um, Listening to how Frank talks to him over the radio, listen to Martin, tell him the things that are going on, you know, ask him what's going on with the car, that type of thing. It's something, it's a view that I have never seen or heard. Well, do you felt uh, like uh, getting in the car one day, going to spend a couple more seasons with Jim? I already know he's probably out after next year. He's going to run part-time and everything, but uh, maybe the roles can be reversed here in a little bit. Oh, man, I'd love nothing than to get in one of those cars and go around that track but uh you know that's that's not in the front of my mind well we got that other monte carlo out back with a roll cage so you know it just just take after my new car if it, see my game plan was not to build a new car my game plan was to put that car together make it a backup sportsman and we find a motor and a transmission put will in it let him have some fun or make it a pure stock we haven't really gone through that yet great car still straight frame we just got to put it together. 
And that's kind of my game plan. When my new car's done and raced, we're going to push that car inside and start putting it together. Yeah, well, obviously, you guys have put uh, a really good core together. Um, had a great season. Uh, Will's been in the team, and, and like everybody else uh, with Martin Beck and, and Frank Utsi, they've all been uh, a really crucial key uh, into your success this year. And you finally got the the jacket, you got the hardware, you got the championship, and you've been etched in the history as Firepike Speedway in a sportsman series as a champion. And, uh, you know, we can continue to congratulate you, but I'm going to do it one more time now that Will's in here. And congratulations to Will and everything you've learned. You know, what? Uh, what's next is to be told, uh, but we're happy to have you in the studio, and um, it's been enjoyable, and uh, we're going to kind of move on. Uh, to some other things uh, that we've done in uh, previous episodes with the Chili Bowl Nationals. Uh, we've, we've gone over the Tulsa Shootout and the Expo, uh, that 500,000 square foot uh, facility out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was really, Sweet to me, place. the prelude to the Chili Bowl Nationals, which mm-hmm. is a, a big Rico Abreu, Christopher Bell, um, Kyle Larson. I mean, they just, they just seem to be the only winners in the last five or seven years. Um, but we had a little different outcome this year. Tanner Thorson. Tanner yeah, Thorson comes away the kid, in the Saturday but... night feature, 55 laps, and gets it done and bites off with Christopher Bell. And, man, I'm telling you, man, they threw some dust up in that place. But I'm Tanner sure. Thorson comes away with the golden driller. I will tell you what, too. you, you got to consider, like, Chase Elliott flipped out. He didn't make it. Destroy his car. Brung his bell a little bit. Um, and some of these guys, man, he raced. I mean, you're, you're talking about the Chili Bowl champions, the guys that, that kick butt. And this guy is unheard of, comes in and gets the job done against some of the biggest midget racers in the country. And you know what I mean? Those guys that have won that race and moved on to like NASCAR, or IndyCar, or, or higher up. And you bet there's somebody's looking at this kid already. Tanner Thorson is, is a name that uh, has been around. Um, you can go to the dirt, you know, super late models with Tim McCready and Brandon Overton and Brandon Shepard and Tyler Erb and all these guys, you know, Tanner Thorson, he finished, well, I yeah, just stopped back with a Viroc. This was a race of champions that started off the night, uh, earlier in the week with Justin Grant winning over Kyle Larson, Christopher wow. Bell, Tanner Thorson and Blake Hahn. Now there are a few names that you can throw around that we all would recognize, right? Mm-hmm. And that was just the race of champions. Everybody knows the old Irock series, you know, with all the race of champions. Well, that was that was just the beginning, and it just kept getting better and better and better. And I can run off the last uh, Tanner Thorson, Christopher Bell, Rico Abreu, wow. uh, Buddy Kofoid, and Tanner Carrick finished the top five. And I do want to make a shout out to Kaylee Bryson being the first woman or first female, however you want to look at it, to make the A main at the Chili Bowl Nationals in history. And congratulations, Kaylee, for doing your job. Excellent job. And we ain't politically correct around here. She's a female. She made the show. She drove her way into the top 20 in a race that's male-dominated. Did an awesome job. Congratulations. She's a name we're probably going to hear more of. I'm sure other teams are looking at her also, and it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, that top five you mentioned, there ain't no slackers in that top five whatsoever. Especially little Rico Abreu. I'd love to see him race NASCAR again. I don't know why nobody doesn't pick him up. He's a hell of a talent. All right. Didn't he run the truck series for He a did, while? and he almost won a couple of truck races. He was running. He run up front every time he went. Yeah. 
And yeah. then all of a sudden he just disappeared like they didn't want him anymore. Yeah, what a cool dude. I mean, he's he, he's just, man, he's all smiles. It's like um, Paul Schaefer up in the Midwest tour. Every time he gets out of the car, whether he's last or he's crashed or he's first, it's all smiles. And, you know, we've, we've labeled him really Paul all smiles Schaefer. But Rico Abreu is just like that same way when he gets out of the truck. Oh, or dude, the sprint car. Did you see when he won the Chili Bowl a few years ago when he got that midget up on the back tires and was doing donuts with the front tires off the ground? <laughs> I don't remember seeing that. super cool. But, I mean, he's so little. I don't know why a NASCAR team wouldn't pick him up because NASCAR weighs the cars without the driver. So you put his little behind in there like most of the advantage that Mark Martin had. Right, right. You know, you'd run a lighter race car. Why wouldn't you want a guy that can wheel a race car as good as him uh, man, I would put him in a NASCAR race car in a heartbeat yeah. or, or a late model or something. I mean, geez. Yeah, and some of those notables there with that uh, that finale on Saturday night, Ricky Stenhouse finishes ninth. Uh, Thomas Meserol, which is a, another big name in that sprint car midget series, uh, finishes a tenth. And uh, just, I mean, congratulations to Kaylee, uh, Kaylee Bryson. I mean, just, that's just so cool to me. Yeah, it is. And we Makes need, you- I think females are, are good coming up in the sport. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I just get tired of the money being the reason they're there. If they've got talent, bring them. I want to see them race. I want to see talent. I don't want to see money. Yeah, it makes you wonder, you know, if she had the the good equipment, what she could accomplish if she was able to do what she did in what she had. Right. Well, I in, agree. In that particular type of racing, most there's only like three or four car builders. And the majority of the, the, the guys that went in those are raced for those guys. I'm sure she had a good car. But, I mean, you know, it's her first time there. And that's a tough little race to make. I mean, you ask ask Bell and all them what it takes to make the show. She not only made the show, she finished that top 20 and ran good. She and made she, the A main. And she went the entire distance. She didn't yeah. park it or anything. So yeah. That's kudos to her and, and her team. Yeah, I texted you earlier uh, a day before the finals. I think it was Thursday or Friday, and uh, we talked about Sammy Swindell starting in the Q main. Yeah. You know, we talk about the alphabet soup, and there's so many. I think there was like over almost 390 drivers in that field going from the first of the week to Saturday night's feature, and they started with uh, the Q main or even – Further back than that, but I think Sammy made it up to the I main and had some issues and got disqualified for some sort of an issue. I'm not real clear about what happened, but I mean, Sammy Swindell, Kevin Swindell, and the Swindell Speed Lab, they've got Gavin Bushell and all these guys. Uh, they've even had Christopher Bell in their car. Um, yeah. So, and for her to come all the way up there and make the A main as the first female ever to win, uh, to make the A main in the Chili Bowl, it's just, it's just historic to me. It is, and that's pretty cool. It's you know, it's first woman winning the snowball derby, or the first woman qualifying for a NASCAR race. It's pretty cool. It's something new and exciting, and uh, we look forward to her doing more of it. Yeah, and uh, we're going to keep up more with that dirt track racing. I think this season uh, coming up uh, in 2022, we're going to try to focus a little bit more on the dirt side uh, with the sprint cars, the midgets, and uh, you know, especially the you know the dirt late models. The Lucas Oil Dirt Late Model Series is kicking off here in a couple of weeks. Um, speaking of a couple of weeks, we've got uh, Speedfest coming up in Cordell at Crisp Motorsports Park. And have you seen the entry list, which I'm about to go run down, that's going to kick off 2022 in the Super Lays and Perlate Models? 
it's also a Southern Super Series race. That's the first uh, race of the Southern Super Series this year. So you know our boy Bubba's going to be there. And oh, it's Bubba Pollard, Cody Coughlin, Eric Jones, Stephen Doerr, Carson Hosevar, Josh Berry, Jesse Dutilly, Jake Garcia, Stephen Nassie, Michael Atwell, and Michael House. I mean, that's just a few. Uh, and those are kind of a mixed super and pro late model entries, but... It's still early. It's a couple of weeks, but it kicks off 2022 as far as I'm concerned. Well, you know, Jake Garcia is the defending Blizzard Series and Southern Super Series champion last year. That's pretty big for that kid, man. He he did a hell of a job in all his races. But this year, the Southern Super Series is going to be a little bit harder because it's going to be more races at different tracks. So I think that kid and all those names you named, there's there's no slackers in that deal. That's going to be a heck of a show. Right. That's a, hell, that's a hell of a stacked lineup. Well, you know who we're pulling for? Oh, Number 26, baby, Bubba Pollard. Go Bubba. Yeah. I think he's on his way to a 2022 season that we've not seen before. No, he needs one. I mean, but you know, like he said, when uh, he won that race at Five Flags, it's only been six months since I've won a race. He said, it ain't like I've been two or three seasons without a win. I've had a lot of stuff going on. But he won one. Then he goes down and wins the Red Eye in New Smyrna. What's what he what I mean, the man still got it. He just had some issues. Yeah, and I I really think Bubba's just kind of reset himself. You know, coming from uh, Seneker, uh, and then take that break, and then got with Van Dorns for the Derby, and didn't really have an uh, a finish that he was expecting. Yeah. Uh, not only him and the team, but everybody else around that knows Bubba Pollard, uh, and then he rejoins himself where his roots were um, with Port City Race Cars. And uh, does have a win under his belt last year, but I, I think it's just a reset and uh, getting his ducks in a row. And um, I think you're going to see a big, big year for Bubba Pollard. Well, he ran good at the snowball. I mean, he was in the top five the majority of the race. He slid back there towards the end, but man, he finished in the top 10, drove the car on the trailer in one piece, didn't tear it up. And uh, he's going to be coming back with a vengeance because that man has something special at Five Flag Speedway. He he's just got it figured out, and that's going to be interesting. And we hope to look forward to him having a great season. It's yeah. a it's a, it's a thing of beauty watching him wheel around Five Flags. I tell you, it's, it's something magical. Well, he's the only guy that I've watched late models that don't bolt on tires every time he goes out for practice. He runs the same set and make five laps. Comes in, make an adjustment. He's fast at the end of the race. It's a hundred laps. You're on one set of tires. So you can get out there and like, you know, Chandler Smith did the night he won and just bonsai and take off. But when it come down to the restart at the end, he got his butt handed to him. So, you know, we love Bubba. That's all we can say. Bubba Pollard. Yeah. And that's going to be uh, here in a couple of weeks. I think uh, we're into 2022, but a couple of weeks, you know, that just really starts kicking off the season with the pro late models. The super late models and, you know, the three stocks modifieds. We're going to go venture a little bit more into the dirt season uh, as we go along in 2022. Um, to end off a note with this episode 35, I think we're going to do a little bit something different, uh, something new actually uh, and different um, that we haven't done before. It is a did you know segment. And uh, there are a few things that I've written down uh, that some of the race fans out there and our listeners may or may not know. Um, but we're going to start off with the did you know in the early history uh, with the car racing. 
that began, uh, you know, when they got was a gas-fueled, which is a, an internal combustion engine, was invented in the 1880s, if you can imagine that. Uh, and this is from a history uh, information site that I got. Was uh, The first organized competition was a reliability test in 1894 from Paris to Rouen, France, which is about 50 miles and was one with an average speed of 10.2 miles per hour. Wow, took them a while to get there, didn't it? Most people could walk faster than that. <laughs> yeah, I think you could, you probably ride a bicycle and got there quicker. That's why people didn't think much of the internal combustion engine back then, because you could ride a horse and go faster. Now, why do I want to sit on that bucking thing and have to breathe fumes? And then when it got faster and better, then they liked them. So, well, you know, inventions start when inventions start, and yep. that's basically when it was in the in the eighteen eighties. And you were when we were talking a really long time ago, so. That's pretty. That's pretty interesting to me. At ten point two miles an hour, over a fifty mile trek, and that was just reliability. So they were. It's actually a race of testing yeah. and durability. So once that was proven, um, you know we can go further back uh, or advanced really into Indianapolis, but we're not really advancing too far because everybody's used to the Indy five hundred every mm-hmm. year. The the Memorial Day weekend. You've got uh, the race over in France uh, early in the morning, uh, and then you've got the Indy 500, and then you've got the Coke 600 all in the same day, which to me is one of my greatest racing days ever because you can get up in the morning, have your breakfast, watch a race, uh, and then, you know, just spend... As the day goes on, you watch more. Yeah, exactly. So it, it doesn't end until like 10 o'clock at night with champions all over the world. 600 miles at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Well, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, opened as an unpaved track in 1909, but was paved with brick for the first Indy 500 in 1911. And Ray Horan won with an average speed of 74.6 miles an hour. Yep. You imagine the bricklayers that they had to employ to lay that brick as smooth, smoothly so you could drive a car in there without bouncing around and breaking your legs? That had to have been that had to have been a tedious task to pave that entire place with bricks. Right. And up until before we got started, I think Will made up uh, uh, something that he, he had read earlier that up until a certain point that there were original bricks up until some, some point that... Uh, that's why they call it the brickyard because it's three yards of brick. But up until a few years, didn't you say that they had replaced those originals to? Yeah, I think I read something where uh, it was because the NASCAR started running on that track that uh, with those cars being as heavy as they were, they were starting to loosen up those bricks and uh, they decided to replace them with newer bricks to make them stay down better so they wouldn't come up like pieces of the tracks do. Well, you wouldn't want to catch a brick in the face in an Indy car or, you know, one go through your radiator in a cup car. So, yeah, it was a, probably a good choice. The other cool thing is there's a there's a, a creek that runs through there, and the original bricks from the original Indianapolis North Speedway were dumped into there. You can do it off the grounds at the racetrack. There's some, and they claim there's some on the ground. And there's certain types of bricks that are more valuable than others. But how cool would that be to have a brick from the original Indianapolis Motor Speedway in your collection of memorabilia? Yeah, and if anybody if anybody out there has one, and they want to like break it in half, or just donate it to our can, studio, yeah, we'll put a brass plate on it and have and your just, name on it. 
in our yeah, studio. Yeah, exactly. We'll put it up on the mantle. and uh, I imagine if anybody has one, it's probably in a vacuum-sealed case. To, you know. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, i tell you a cool indie memory that I had. I remember when Danny Sullivan spun running second, or leading the race, and, and Mario Andretti was behind him, and he spun out and, and ended up still running second after the spin and then went on to win the Indy 500. I was like 1985. I remember watching that live on TV. He spun and asked him, said, well, well, how did you know what to do? He said, I don't remember. I had my eyes closed. That yeah. Was Danny Sullivan. <laughs> yeah, about about what I was about to say. <laughs> oh, I said, well, I didn't know you. you no, I, that's amazing. I know Danny Sullivan and all those guys, Rick Mears. And, Rick Mears, you know, yeah. Uh, Gordon John Cox and all Cock. those guys who were running Indy. And uh, some uh, of the, the tragic uh, accidents that happened, uh, even – I, I can't imagine those guys, and you've seen those old cars on the brick, mm-hmm. you know, running around and, and creating what looked like a little bit of a dirt racing dust. And Probably. It, yeah. Where they're like, they're like pairs. I don't think they were singles. It looked like early on that they, they had pairs that were riding. One was in the front, one was in the back. One had the gas, one had the brake, one had the steering wheel. I don't Sh- know what yeah, chain driven, and the only brake they had was like the uh, a stick that rubbed on the tire as they went to. St- st- yeah, I, I can't imagine, and you know, to I mean, even average speed was seventy four miles an hour for the race. You can imagine what they're doing down the straightaway. And it's being no a, seat a belts, big track like that. No helmets, just with the goggles. I tell you another. Uh, it's not a funny. It's a tragic indie story. But remember, we talk about that peanuts are bad luck in racing. I think it was the fifty three Indy five hundred, fifty three or the fifty six. I'm not sure on exactly on the year. A guy said that was a bunch of hockey, and he took peanuts and put it on the first three cars. Of the starting field when they went into turn one all three of those drivers died in a fiery crash that's one of the reasons why i will not have peanuts around my race car it's bad luck anytime it's ever happened to me i've wrecked my car no peanuts and that's one of the reasons why i just thought you'd like to know where does the color green come from then i don't know where the color green but used to be junior johnson was against that until he got to mountain dew sponsorship and you wear green all you wanted because green was coming in the money that was a green trim though that wasn't like the the you majority know, like the interstate of the car was batteries green, green and yeah, don't bring peanuts and green cars or colors or sweaters into either. the pits because it's bad luck. So number thirteen was was bad luck also. Not to, I tell you a funny story. Five Flag Speedway many years ago, back in the eighties, these guys showed up with this green Monte Carlo number thirteen. They were eating peanuts, and that car made about five laps and went off turn three, and you saw chrome, 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 and that thing flipped. And when they brought it in, there wasn't a piece you could place you could put your hand. It wasn't completely destroyed in that car. We never saw it again. I think them guys figured mm. out that they tried to test fate, and fate wasn't very good to them. Ask Martin about that sometime. Yeah, that's a did you know for sure. Well, the next one is I don't know if our listeners are you know understanding uh, they know this or not. I don't know if our listeners know this or not, but if they don't, um, here it is: NASCAR National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing founded in 1947. So, founding in 1947 and National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing is is NASCAR, that's what it stands for. And for our listeners, uh, if you're just getting into racing and you love Short Track Guys podcasts and you're following, there's a little bit of tidbit about Did You Know? Well, hey, do you know who came up with the name NASCAR? I can tell you the driver's name. He was the first modified champion in 1948, Red Byron. Red Vote owned the car, but Red Byron actually came up with the acronym NASCAR for the France family, believe it or not. And he was the first champion 
was a World War II bomber pilot that when he drove his race car, they had to put a stirrup on the clutch pedal because his leg, he couldn't lift his leg because he took flack in the back of the leg from, from the Germans. And he had to, they had to put his foot in a stirrup so he could work the clutch. He was a wor- wormy little old fella, but he was the first modified champion in 1948. Just a little, little more did you know to go on top of that. Yeah, and the last one is uh, Wilbur Shaw. Uh, was born in 1902, uh, tragically passed away in a plane crash in 1954. This gentleman won the Indy 500 three times in 1937, 1939, and 1940, and finished second in 1933, 1935, and 1938. Wow. Um, so Wilbur Shaw is a six-time top two Indy 500 participant. If you pretty can imagine cool. that in the 30s and 40s, pretty incredible to top that off. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and then, and then they closed Indian for the for World War Two. They almost, you know, they almost didn't reopen that racetrack because they 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 left it open, figured that they could land planes there if they needed to, and it all it had been grown up. It was it was rough looking and terrible, and they almost didn't reopen it. And the uh, certain family, I can't remember their name, stepped in and said, "No, no, we want to bring racing back." So they brought the Indian 500 back. Well, race fans, that's going to wrap up episode 35. And uh, Jim, Will Hay, uh, crew member of the 07 Sportsman at Five Flag Speedway here. It's been a pleasure to have you in the studio. Learning a lot about your your story and how you got involved. And, uh, hey, you know, it's uh, it's all going to be good from here on out. Well, I appreciate y'all having me. I've had a blast. This This is amazing. And thank you, Jim, for letting me be a part of the team. Thank you, Thomas, for having me here. And uh, look forward to this coming season. Glad to have you. Thanks for all your help, man, because without you, we wouldn't be able to do what I love to do. I, and I've done it by myself for so long, and then I finally got some good help, and I appreciate you. Let's go, Brandon. Y'all have a great night. Thanks for listening. Good night, everybody.